0: Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to steal a moment for yourself before the week ahead. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and
1: enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi everyone, Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Guys, I cannot wait for you to hear who's on the podcast today. My friend Jay Shetty. He is amazing. He's a host, a storyteller. He makes incredibly inspirational videos. And did you know he's also a former monk? Casual. We talk about his path to success, mental health, how to live a balanced life, our relationships with each other and with our devices, and so much more. Enjoy. I'm just thrilled that you're on the show today. I I have been such a fan of yours, and to finally get to meet you is so great. I... I I think that the positivity that you put out in the world is such a gift to people, um, and it's just fun. I, you know, I was saying too earlier to to really appreciate a person sort of out in the ether, and then to sit down with them in person is so great. So yeah, absolutely. Well, the
0: feeling's very mutual. Thank I grew you. up watching you, <laughs> as, so as, as a lot of us did, <laughs> and I also just love the fact that there are so many incredible people like yourself using your platform to also have meaningful conversations and i think that's what's so needed today that we're all Mm. blessed to have access to these amazing platforms Mm -hmm. and to be able to use it for a higher purpose a higher cause higher messages i think is i don't think it's right i just think it's it's beautiful Mm. and so it's it's an honor to be sitting with you and i'm really excited about this
1: thanks yeah that makes me have a sort of first question come to mind, which isn't my first question on my sheet, (laughs) but I I am curious because at least for me, I know that in all the years of working in these activist spaces and philanthropic spaces and generally just being so curious about the world – I do a lot of speaking and for a couple of years before we started this, people would say, well, why don't you have a podcast and why don't you, you know, do a, do a show or do videos or whatever? And, and my response was always, no, 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 no. I, I sort of backed away from it. Um, it. It made me kind of recoil and I would think, who cares and why would that matter? And And I was always very comfortable writing and sharing and social media gives us this opportunity to do that. But it took me a long time to own that there is value here in the conversation and that it is okay if I want to have those conversations. And to your point, that can be a really beautiful thing to lean into. And I'm curious because I think a little bit of it is is the way that women are often stereotypically gendered to shrink themselves. But there's also a real reality that everybody out there is struggling to feel like they're enough. And you've leaned into the space for so long. How did that click for you? Where did you find the confidence or the permission to just do it?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question, actually. No one's ever asked me that. So, so thank you. Yeah, hey, thank, hey. You for, thank you for answer, asking me that I question. You got a zinger
1: right out of the gate. Yeah,
0: I love it. <laughs> the, the truth is that when I came across Incredible thought, wisdom, philosophies when I was 18 years old. So there's a beautiful statement by Martin Luther King where he said, If you want a new idea, read an old book. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate that at 16 years old and 18 years old more deeply, I started reading texts that were 2,000 years old in Stoicism or 5,000 years old in Vedic thought. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just got exposed to this wealth of knowledge very young. And I was like a kid who'd just seen the best movie of all time mm-hmm. and wanted to tell everyone about it. And I think that's what my confidence comes from. My confidence doesn't come from me. My confidence doesn't even come from what I know. My confidence comes from where I'm learning from. Mm. And that's the most beautiful liberating permission because now it's not about me and it's not about my growth and it's not about my brand and it's not about my voice. It's about the voice of thousands of years of a wealth of knowledge that works and has transformed people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can be confident about forever. And so for me, I started sharing this when I was 18. And and the best example I can give is if you've just heard a song that you love or you've just watched a movie that you love, no one needs to give you permission to tell everyone about it. You go on social media, you tell everyone, mm. you start calling up your friend or you message your friend or when you see your friends, you're like, oh my God, you have to see this movie. And so my confidence really comes from the fact that I feel I've unearthed truths that are going to rapidly transform people's lives. And I just want to be someone who genuinely tries to understand them and share them. So there was a beautiful thought from Einstein where he said that if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough.
2: Mm. So
0: where I get my confidence from is trying to take something very complicated and trying to simplify it. And if I can do that, then I've proved to myself that I get it. And then other people will be able to digest it as well. So for me, that's where I get my personal confidence from is years of trying to tackle really profound thought and trying to break it down and distill it and understand it Mm -hmm. so that I understand it and can apply it and explain it to others
1: yeah so oh I love that Yeah. something that I find so cool when when you do analyze spaces like that and I think a love for me as a kid it was sort of my my love of literature yes. and then my love of learning about other cultures that made me feel alive and made me feel capable and you know being a teenage girl is really hard as I imagine being a teenage boy is and it was something that gave me a purpose outside myself and what I started to geek out on was what's the through line? Because mm. I grew up in a family that is super mixed, that is Catholic and agnostic and Jewish and I was like, but there's these universal truths in, in the world of faith. Yes, And then I started leaning in and studying things like the Vedas. And I remember when I read the Upanishads and was just so fascinated. Oh yeah. My entire senior year in high school I spent a year taking Islamic studies and reading the Quran and learning about that faith and and all of these all of these different versions of believing there's something magical, mystical at work in the world virtually say the same thing which is be a good person, love other people, take care of those who are suffering. And I was like, oh, us, our weird little human brains, the the parts of us that have stuck through evolution to be really tribalistic and, and lizard-like and think small, get scared, and they, and they sort of override the part of us that knows that everything is bigger and that every person is our brother or our sister or our friend. And... We just have to keep doing this. Like every every generation who's born has to forget and then learn how to learn again because we knew. And then look at all of us walking around being terrified all the time. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, what a joke. Like clearly the universe has a great sense of humor.
0: Absolutely. But yeah.
1: the through line makes me feel less scared.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you said that so beautifully as well that it's that, binding force and it's the through line or it's the essence of all of them mm. that is so aligned and the same messages keep coming out mm-hmm. in different languages in different cultures with different backgrounds and different texts. And, and I love that. And I think that's where I've really started to focus is I want to share wisdom that's timeless mm. and that's universal. And that's what I believe are the two defining factors of truth yes. is that it's timeless and that it's universal. Everyone understands it And it will last forever. It's not a trend. It's not a fad. It's not something that's going to go out of fashion next week. It's something that people are going to agree and nod their heads to Mm -hmm. for the next 10, 20, 30, 50, a million years. And that's what's so beautiful about it.
1: And then it's the thing you can always come back to. Yes. Because if something isn't timeless, you can't use it, seek it, plug into it for a recharge And then you're constantly looking for the thing that fills you. So if you find that, which you're speaking of, you can always come back to it. It's like, you know, not to be too modern or technological, because I know we're trying to learn how to live without that shit, but (laughs) it's like your iPhone charger. Like you can always plug into the same thing. Yes. And that I think there's such a value in. I agree. So clearly you've reached this incredible point of – connection and perspective and brilliance and I imagine you still have all your human things that are tons of them (laughs) yeah we all do we have like quirks and fears and whatever but I want to know how this all started like I would imagine you were a special little kid I would imagine that people were like he who is that you know even when you were little you were probably very inquisitive right
0: uh kind of Oh, let me paint me paint picture. Like, honest where do you picture. start? Because yeah, no. <laughs> I know it
1: starts in London and I don't know. Absolutely. I, no, I want to no.
0: know. No, it's a good question. And I think a lot of people think that way and it's actually the opposite. Is so, it? So I was a teacher's pet and the ideal son probably up until the age of 14. Okay. So I followed every rule in the book. I never disobeyed my parents. Mm. I did everything according to the line. And at 14, I went completely the opposite way. So up until 14, I wouldn't say I was... Quote unquote, special or intrigued or even curious. I would just say I followed the rules. And you stayed in your lane. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that didn't really serve me, I felt, on a personal level when I was 14, because I still felt I was bullied at school for being overweight. Mm -hmm. I was bullied at school. I experienced racism. There were so many different things that I was still going through despite following all the rules and doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And so at 14, I went the opposite way, where I was like, well, I'm going to test being wrong because being right hasn't worked. And I literally wow. went to the other end where I started experimenting with drugs and had multiple relationships and then small crimes and all this, like totally the opposite, which was v- very unnatural to me. Like now when I look back, I realize it was all a expression of my ego. Like it was just me trying to become something that I'm truly not. Like it does not suit me to uh, wear wear gangster clothes and, <laughs> and then try and, uh, you know, try and, make myself appear to be stronger than I am. Like, that's not who I am. Mm. But I was just experimenting. And then I got intrigued through that process. So it was having gone from one extreme to the other extreme and then trying to almost come back to the middle and go, Mm. okay, what have I learned from both of those? And the truth is I learned... Not much from being good and from being bad, I just learned that wasn't the right answer either. <laughs> and that's what made me start answering, asking questions. So what really made me inquisitive was, first of all, I listened to a lot of rap and hip hop music. Mm. And that made me super inquisitive because a lot of the lyricists I listened to were using music to at least express how they felt inside. Yeah. And so when I would listen to that vulnerability, I would think, oh, wow, that's powerful. And I would write a lot too. So I started writing when I was very young and playing with words and I used to enjoy wordplay and trying to communicate messages through words from a very early age. And then what happened is I lost two friends, one in a car accident and one, to gang violence. Mm-hmm. And when I lost those two friends, that's what really hit me in the face. And I couldn't avoid reflecting anymore because I'd mm-hmm. lost two people that were very close to me that I loved really deeply, that I believed were good people. And I'd lost both of them. And that made me start to ask a lot of questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Like how valuable is time? Mm-hmm. Because I think when you're young, you don't realize, you think you have a lot of time when you're young mm-hmm. and then you lose two people when you're young and they're young. And then you think, well, what what does young mean? Right, what does young mean? Does young mean age or does young mean how far away I am from potentially losing my life? And so when I was staring both of their losses in the face, that made me really want to reflect on how I used my time. Because for the first time, I recognized that, Time was not guaranteed, and that i wasn 't just going to be blessed with as much, so I was just like, "Okay, now, how do I start to use it mm-hmm. so actually i've i 've been on both ends of what you were saying i I was very fortunate to become curious because of who I met. I think I was curious to some degree I like you studied a lot of the religious and spiritual texts when I was sixteen, out of fascination, but still, I would say it was always prompted by other people, and that 's the beauty I think we have today that we 're sitting down together we've connected on Instagram, we've connected Mm -hmm. on social media, we're sitting together having this conversation and hopefully someone's going to hear it and think, oh, I'd love to dive into that too. And I think it's all about us being prompted. Mm -hmm. I think very few people, and I know for a fact, me included, I don't think I would have become spiritual or positive or conscious Mm -hmm. without that energy in my life. Yeah, Because it's a gift that someone has to give you. It's not something you just are born with. And I definitely wasn't
1: born with it. Mm -hmm. And I think- there's a real beauty in the reality that you can see or experience discrimination and that that can really prompt you to look deeper. Yes. Because as a kid who grew up in a multi faith family, I would see people discriminate against other people for what they believed, but I would go to you know different houses of worship and I was like, basically everybody's saying the same thing. I'm confused. Why are we... <laughs> Why are we being so mean to people about, yeah. about what they believe? And then I wanted to know more about what other people believed yes. so that I could understand and see. And and I think the real gift is that learning and experience is the antithesis to othering.
0: That's beautiful. I love that.
1: You know, and, yes. and, and what could be more dangerous? Like mm-hmm. it's crushing to imagine you as a kid experiencing racism at school. And, and yet we know that it happens to people everywhere. It, yes. it crushes me to know what young women are going through and what women in the workplace are going through. And we know it happens everywhere. Yes, And so we have to start to get over that idea that we're separate. Yes. And, and when you say, you know, there's the prompt of what, is around you that makes you curious and then you say until you met someone are you referring to your meeting when you were 18 meeting the monk
0: yeah definitely. how did that happen <clears throat> that was a big part of it that was definitely a big part of it because i just think when i so when i met a monk when i was 18 he was invited to speak at my university mm. and so college and every week i would go to hear from celebrities entrepreneurs CEOs and I love rags to riches stories like I still do I love hearing not because of the money or the wealth but because of the pain the struggle the resistance the resilience Mm -hmm. that someone has to go through like that gets me excited I love hearing about it because I think since I was young that's what really connected with me stories of people finding their truth and their power and breaking down boundaries to get to their goals because I think that's the story of all of us. Mm -hmm. And so I used to take a lot of energy from those. And once a monk was invited to speak and I wasn't interested or I was trying to be uninterested at the Mm -hmm. time. And I thought, I said to my friends, I said, we'll only go to hear him if we go to a bar afterwards, right? Like that was my prescription. And they said, yes, fine. We'll go to a bar afterwards because my friends were getting interested in, in hearing from spiritual people. And so I went along to this with zero expectations, not caring about it, almost thinking about what we were going to do afterwards.
2: Mm.
0: And I left a completely changed person. It was one of those moments in life where you get humbled by your own stupidity because I went in there having no expectations and thinking it was going to be the biggest waste of time and walked out thinking that was the best use of time I ever could have had. Wow. And it was because, and I can only say this in in hindsight, you know, it's it's easier to say now because I've always thought back to that moment and think, why was I so blown away? Because it wasn't just... I wasn't just impressed by him because he was dressed in robes. I wasn't impressed by him because he didn't have any money. So he doesn't have a net worth. Mm. You know, I, did, I wasn't impressed by him because he was attractive or good looking because, you know, he was, he's a monk, he's shaved head wearing robes. So there was nothing externally that I was attracted to about him. Mm. So when I've looked back, I thought about it this way, that at the age of 18, I'd met people who are beautiful. I'd met people who have rich. I'd met people who are famous, but I don't think I'd met anyone who was happy. And when I think about it like that, that's what he had. It's like, and if you do an audit of your life and ask yourself, when have you actually met someone who you truly believed was happy and content? I'm sure it's hard to think of lots of people. I'm sure you think of a few people. And I think that those people have something special. And so when I went up to him and I said, hey, I want what you've got, you know, and it was like saying that to a a CEO or a celebrity or whatever it is, but I was like, "I, I want what you have. And he was like, well, come and spend time in India with me. And it was as simple as that, that I literally started shadowing him just like you would shadow or be an understudy Mm -hmm. of an actor or a CEO or anyone that you admire. It just so happens that my role models became monks when I was 18, as opposed to X, Y, or Z. And so for me, that I, I do believe that a lot of us, I do believe that everyone inside of them has an awakened state. I believe that everyone inside of themselves has high consciousness. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is that most of what we consume in the world is only appealing to our lower natures. Most of the TV and media that we consume, Mm -hmm. most of the social media consume, most of the food that we consume, all the thought that we consume, most of it is just pulling on our tendencies of fear, ego, lust, anger, and greed, Mm -hmm. like most of this stuff. And so until we meet someone who's really operating at a higher consciousness who can drag that part of us out, it's very hard for us to do it ourselves. It's the same as being asleep, right? It's like you're asleep in the morning. You need more alarms. You need more people to throw water on you. You need more things to happen for you to wake up out of that. And I think consciousness-wise, it's the same thing. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, so, so for me, that was... A big turning point because it gave me a new alternative and a path. And I think that was important for me because I'd never thought about becoming a monk. Right. And so, until and I say, you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So if you've never seen someone, and that's the same as if you've never seen an entrepreneur, you never want to be one. If you've never seen a musician, you won't want to think about one. What we see becomes what we want to be. And so I was very fortunate that one of the most powerful role models in my life were monks.
1: So... This new path illuminates when you meet this man. Yes. And then what? You picked up and went to India.
0: No, 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 definitely not. So I spent, that was at age 18. So for the next four years, I carried on my education. I was at university in England, in London. And I spent all of my summer vacations in India. And half of them I spent living as a monk and half of them I spent living, working in the finance world. So I would literally go from steakhouses, bars, fast cars, and the finance world of London to living as a monk in India every summer and like w- waking up at 4 a.m. every day, sleeping on the floor, wearing robes. So I was literally going from the fast life to the to the slow life literally every summer and just experimenting and just testing what fascinated me. And for those four years in my normal life, I was still doing absolutely everything else that you'd expect an 18-year-old to do. Got it. Uh, 18 to 22-year-old. And then at 22, when I graduated... I looked at both the options I had, which was my graduate job in the world of finance in London. And I looked at the option of being a monk and I chose to become a monk for full time for three years. So I, that was the decision point in which I felt I'd experimented enough with both lifestyles and Mm. then I can make a decision. And I think when people ask me, they're like, well, was that decision hard? Like, how hard was it? And I'm like, that was one of the easiest decisions I ever made in my life Mm -hmm. because I'd already experimented with it. And I think what we try and do is we try to make decisions first and then experiment.
2: Yes. And it's
0: actually meant to be the other way around. Like, you're meant to experiment first and then make a decision. So we put the pressure like, decide now. What do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I need to experiment. Mm -hmm. And so we make a decision out of fear and out of confusion And then we get upset with our decision because the experiment doesn't work. Whereas Mm -hmm. I very clearly experimented with two paths that I could have had in life. I saw the fast life. I saw the amazing opportunities it was giving me. I saw the money that it brought. I saw the type of company it was able to attract. And then I looked at being a monk and what that was doing for me. Mm -hmm. And I found that more meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying it's better than finance life. I'm just saying for me, that experiment showed me this was more meaningful.
1: And what an amazing thing that you had the wherewithal as a teenager to understand that both were okay. Because I think there's all this pressure out in the world to your point of decide what you're going to be, be that, be committed, do. It's like everybody wants to put you in a box.
0: Absolutely. And
1: what an amazing thing that you were like, I'm a university student, I'm working in finance, and also I'm apprenticing a monk. People were probably like, what are you talking about? (laughs)
0: Literally, yeah.
1: But it's such a great reminder that we're allowed to do many things. Totally. And that life happens in seasons. You didn't have to make that decision and then just do it forever. Yes. You made the decision, you studied, you lived in that way. Yes, for three years. You obviously made a decision to eventually come home. Yes. So what changed three years in? Did you feel like... You had a handle on the person you wanted to be, and you kind of wanted to come back to your world. What What was the impetus for that?
0: Yeah, great questions, by the way. There's, uh, there's, there's, I haven't looked at it. No, 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 all it's my beautiful. No, I'm, and now I'm just. I'm like, really enjoying out. this conversation. <laughs> I, I feel like the way you're asking me these questions is making me answer them deeper than I have before. So I, I, I really it. appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, I was just for me, the reason why I chose to become a monk is very important. It's because I wanted to live a life where I had the time to purify myself and serve others. Mm. And when I looked at the life of finance, what I saw was a life that gave me very little time to really work on myself. And I could still have an impact on other people, but I don't know how much I'd actually get to purify myself. And when I talk about purification, I'm talking about cleansing, healing, growing. And it's not like I had the biggest demons in the world to heal or anything like that but i think we all have work we need to do and things to process and things to grow through and i really wanted to i was like yeah i want to overcome my ego like that's my goal right at 22 i'm like i really want to overcome my ego i want to overcome the desire for things and wealth and pride and i want to overcome anger and i, I want to overcome all of these things that are inside of us mm. even if they're not the most heightened things inside of me i know they're there subtly And I want to work on them. And at the same time, I want to use my time to serve. So we were, half our day was silence and half our day was service. And I think this is such a beautiful method of planning our own days today, where we talk about self-care and then selflessness. It's like, we need to fuel up and then we need to give. And that's what monk life really gave me a discipline of, that half our day was really fueling up and the other half was giving it away. And so we were doing the silence and meditation things you'd expect from monks. And then we were building philanthropic ventures like sustainable villages and food distribution programs. So we built a food distribution program that now feeds 1.2 million meals per day to the children of India. And for me, that was so fulfilling to be able to do that at a young age, to see people's lives changing and to sit with these children and and give them food and be a part of that process and see how grateful they were for like just one hot cooked meal a day. Like that totally changes the the compass of your life and, and what you really value. The reason why I came back from all of that, which was the, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, was because that silence and self-awareness taught me that I didn't believe I was a monk for life. And mm. the reason for that was because I really loved being independent. I'm a bit of a rebel. I really enjoy sharing wisdom in a way that suits me. Mm. And I didn't feel we'd be able to reach the most people by me being there mm-hmm. I didn't feel and, and not that I ever believed it would even scale this far but I just knew that I had to go out there and my teacher confirmed that after three years he actually said to me he said that Jay I think it's time for you to leave so you can share what you've learned mm-hmm. and and for me at that time it was actually hard like even though it's easy talking about it now at that time I felt like I was having a breakup I felt like I was getting divorced you know it was the whole conversation of like it's not you it's me it was one of those like <laughs> awkward breakup conversations with my teacher because I didn't really see the path ahead, but I knew that with my self-awareness and his blessings that that was a good combination of something could happen. Mm -hmm. So I moved back to my parents' home. That was six years ago and moved back to London. And I had my $25,000 worth of debt at that time to pay off from student loans and all the rest of it. And you know, no one wanted to hire me because I had monk on my resume for the last three years, and no one wants to hire a monk because they're like, right. "What? What are your transferable skills?" So it was a really tough time in my life actually coming back because mm-hmm. I look at monk life like my school, and the last six years have been the exam. Right, the last six years have been the test of everything I learned at monk school, wow. and all I can say is that these last six years have given me so much more confidence about monk school than anything else because I've practiced everything I learned and it all works and I'm just like this is amazing yeah right I can be in the world but not of this world I can function in the world but still remain detached I can be here and make an impact but still take care of myself so many mm-hmm. beautiful lessons have come from that process
1: that's amazing <laughs> I I feel so high right now I'm just like <laughs> yes oh, I'm so excited Um, so practical application is something I'm very curious Me about too. because it seems that straddling the line is very hard for people. And, and I'm interested in what you're talking about, which in my brain looks like where the Venn diagram crosses over, like the red and, and the blue make purple and it's the purple zone that we want to be in. Yes. And I I personally, I remember years ago um, going on a digital detox, which was amazing. You know, it's a four-day retreat. You turn over the watch, the phone, the computer, all of the things. There's no screens. There's no alarms. There's no nothing. And it was such a holistic experience, and it impacted how I related to technology when I came home. But that stuff dovetails, you know? And... I, I, I have friends who've gone and done, you know, a 10-day silent meditation retreat and they come home glowing and then eventually life gets really hard. So I'm curious about some of the practical application because you obviously have tools and obviously not everyone who's listening is going to move to India for three years, but I'm super tempted. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. So what, where would you tell people to start. Mm. And second half of that question is what, what's the way you check in every day? How Mm. do you, when you're in the middle of it all Mm -hmm. kind of pull back and have a moment on, on this end of your journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think the first thing for most people will just be trying to get some space, Mm. trying to get some stillness Trying to get some silence from the noise. And that's just my perception. But if you're listening right now, I'm guessing that you feel life's very busy. You feel like you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got a lot of competing priorities. You've got a lot of challenges with wanting to do something meaningful for yourself, but then having all these other pressures that are there. Mm. And so I feel that life for all of us, whether we're happy or not, whatever it is, there's pressure, there's stress, there's challenges, and there's competing priorities. And I think that's something all of us can agree with, me included. And so when I look at the need for silence, space, or stillness, I do believe that getting away to a four-day retreat or a 10-day retreat is a great start. Mm -hmm. I think it's a beautiful idea because what it does is that it at least gives you the belief that there is an alternative.
1: Mm, It gives you the possibility.
0: Correct. It's a
1: proven possibility.
0: Exactly. You get the experience yourself that, wow, I felt Mm. better. Mm-hmm. The world did not end when I didn't look at Instagram <laughs> for 10 days, right? I did not miss out on like all the big fashion events or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And my life's not crumbling. It's it's doable. Mm-hmm. It's embedding it back into our lives. And I do think stillness, space and silence comes from having good technology habits. Because mm-hmm. I do think most of the noise, most of the pressure, most of the mental struggles we have are coming from what we consume, mm-hmm. 100%. So one of the biggest things for me is, and I know this sounds hard, but it took me a while to get around to this, is please don't wake up to your phone. Just please do not wake up to your phone. This will Mm -hmm. change your life. And the way I used to do it is I used to actually lock my devices in my car outside because that was the only way I would not look at my devices first thing in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I would pack my laptop and my phone into a bag. I bought myself a Timex alarm clock from Amazon, like one of the traditional ones. Mm -hmm. I had that if I needed that to wake me up and I would lock my devices away. And if that's what you need to do to make sure you don't look at your phone in the morning, go to that extent because Mm -hmm. you'll feel so fresh. And the reason why I say this is you would never let 100 people walk into your bedroom in the morning. Yes. I'm sure no one would do that, Ugh. right? You wouldn't let a hundred people walk through your bedroom door We'd be and, traumatized. Stop, and start asking you questions. Yeah. Oh, how's your day going? What are you doing today? Oh, did you... you see what so-and-so did last night? Oh my God, do you want to go to this party yesterday? Oh, I wish you came to this thing this weekend. Would you let a hundred people come in and do that? No, no, but that's what you're doing to your mind when you open up hundred notifications. That's the same thing that's happening. You're literally letting a hundred people walk into your mind, mm. walk all over it with their dirty feet, And whatever they're Mm. thinking about and bring all of their energy into that space.
1: Mm. Often before you've even sat up.
0: Before you've sat up, brushed your teeth, showered, thought about anything. So Mm. now you're already on a reactive mode. Your life is already in reaction mode because now all your energy is about how do I respond and react? You're now not getting to set your intentions for the day. You're now not getting to set your focus for the day, which means, guess what? Nothing that you care about is going to be accomplished. Mm. So for me, the simple act of not looking at your phone in the morning gives so much space to your day. because you're giving yourself mental space. And then in that mental space, you get to set what is my intention for today? What do I want to focus on today? What am I grateful for today? And for me, those are the three things. Setting an intention. So before I came here, I set an intention. I was like, I'm really grateful and excited to meet Sophia. And I'm hoping that I can serve her and her audience through this Podcast we're about to record mm. and that was my intention for this mm-hmm. whereas if i had woken up and the first thing i looked at my phone i would have had my team reaching out to me and saying jay what are we doing we're f- i'm flying to san francisco tonight so there's travel stuff going on and there's just so many other things mm. so you don't get a set and that means when you turn up somewhere you're not there anymore right so setting your intention is something that i love doing setting your focus like what is it that you are going to be feeling satisfied when you go to sleep that day that you've accomplished? What is that one thing? What are those two things that you're going to feel accomplished if you do by the end of that day? Remember I said one or two, not 12, because our to-do lists are just 12 things and they're usually 12 hard things and you've done four and you haven't done eight and then you start comparing yourself against the eight you haven't done. Whereas I just set one or two things that I need to have accomplished by the end of that day, which I believe is realistic and it's doable. And the Mm -hmm. third thing is I ask myself, what am I grateful for today? What am I happy about today? Mm -hmm. What what are the blessings in my life today? Mm -hmm. And those are just such better thoughts to start your day with than, oh my God, you just missed out on what so-and-so wore on Sunday night. Right. So for me, that's step one. The second one is I really believe in having barriers in your home so i like to call it no technology zones and times in your home so there are some places i talk about like don't use technology in the bedroom or the dining area because it's more fun to eat and sleep with people Mm -hmm. right like why are you going to keep phones in spaces where you can engage with a human being yeah and so what we have to do is we have to set barriers around our own lives and disciplines that we can stick to now you have to be realistic you can't just go around and say i'm never going to use technology when i'm with my partner because whenever we make Permanent decisions like that. Yeah. No decision is permanent. So of don't course. try and make like some extreme yeah, like that's like a ma- yo
1: yo diet. Totally where people exactly. are like, I'm quitting eating this thing forever. I'm like, Good luck with that.
0: Exactly, right? No one's gonna do three it. Three days too-
1: later they're like pouring a bag of gummy bears in their face.
0: Totally. I gave up chocolate for three years when I lived as a monk. The day I left being a monk the first thing i ate was chocolate and a lot <laughs> yeah. of it and i love that it was a good day yeah but yeah so don't don't make these extreme decisions mm-hmm. just step by step micro steps break them down like just mm-hmm. get closer and closer and closer just mm-hmm. a tiny bit every single day
1: hey. so LA is my home and we talked about this, you know, I grew up here yeah. and I love it here and I think it's the best. And I love that you love it. It feels like a win. <laughs> I
0: absolutely love it. This is my favorite place in the world to live. I am so happy. Yeah.
1: And so when I'm I've I've worked on two shows for long periods of time in other states. So I've had, you know, another place, an apartment or a house that I've rented, whatever. And I had this realization, I was working on a job in Chicago and I've never had a TV in my bedroom in LA.
2: Small ever,
1: but I had a TV in my bedroom in Chicago and I had this very weird aha moment. I was super sick, um, and I'd you know be laying in bed and watching TV at night and just feeling gross. And I came home for the weekend and was just down for the count. So I laid on my couch, you know, all day. It's that thing where you're like, I'll save that show till I have the flu. And I binged a show I'd been wanting to watch. And at the end of the day, it was so nice. I was like, God, I gave myself a rest. I didn't try to do anything. I didn't try to be, you know, better than I'm feeling, whatever. And at the end of the day, I had to get up and go to bed. And it was like getting hit by a truck. And I thought, Oh my God. I'm allowed to lay on the couch all day if I'm sick and watch TV. But what I've been doing back in Chicago is laying in my bed and watching TV every night. I've been behaving like a sick person. Mm,
0: wow. Every night.
1: I've been doing in my in my room, in my bed, in my space, which should be for nothing but sleeping, reading, recharging. Yes. I have been up late at night, staying up an extra hour because the show is good, not going to bed on time flooding my brain with blue light that ruins my sleep even when I do go to sleep. And it was like, oh my God. And I, I went back to Chicago and ripped the TV off yeah. the wall. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. And it is, It's. It's. it sounds silly because it's a small change, but mm-hmm. it makes such an impact.
0: No, it's huge. And what you've just said there is, I mean, you put it so well, and I'm just listening, nodding away if you can't see this right <laughs> now. Everyone is, everyone is listening. I'm like nodding away at everything you're saying because... There's something I talk a lot about and which we learned as monk, which was location has energy. Mm. So what you do in a space gives that space its identity. Wow. So when we're in this space right now and you record a podcast in here, it means it's a space of thought. It's a space of enlightenment. It's a space of excitement. It's a space of exchanging ideas. But imagine that when we finished in this room and we left, someone came in and started sp- playing death metal in here, right? Right. Nope. And, and then we come back in here, we may think, oh, it doesn't matter. But guess what? We're going to come back into an environment that has that energy. No yeah. offense to death metal. I'm just trying to give two polar, polar examples. So when you're watching television in your bedroom, guess what? That's active energy. That's stimulated energy. Mm. That's interactive energy guess what? You can't sleep when you're activated, stimulated or interactive. Right. Hence why we struggle to sleep because we try and do, some people eat in their beds, sleep in their beds, watch TV in their beds, do everything in their beds, which means your bed is confused about what you want to do there. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the energy of that room is confused about what you want to do there. Mm-hmm. And so having spaces, even if you live in the, ti- I used to live in the tiniest apartment in New York. And even in that tiny, tiny apartment, I had a meditation corner, right? Not even a meditation mm. room or a space. I had a meditation corner. I had a writing corner. Mm. I, I had a space in this tiny, tiny 500 square foot apartment of where I would do certain activities because then that energy of that space gets embedded for that. So when you said that example, it triggered that thought straight away for me mm-hmm. is that you stopped your bedroom being a place where you were stimulated mm-hmm. because how can you sleep deeply deeply? If you're highly stimulated yeah. and this applies to everything. If you're struggling to eat, think about your eating environment. Are you eating in a place that makes you want to eat? Or are you again, eating in front of the TV? Are you yeah. then eating again uh, in, in a place that's messy and cluttered? Are you trying to think and be creative in a space that's messy and cluttered?
1: Mm. Because guess
0: what? That external clutter is going to impact your internal clutter. So it's so important that we just create corners, spaces, rooms, whatever you have whatever your personal life looks like to create energy in a location that helps you get to whatever that goal is of that space. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's powerful. And I'm struck, Simple and powerful. It is simple, but it. Uh, what strikes me is that these aren't conversations we've grown up having. Mm. You know, I, I think about it with mental health. I think about it with physical health unless you grow up as an athlete, you have no idea how to really take care of your body. That's true. And and the, the, the sort of mental athleticism required to live a present life, we're missing the instruction manual. So I guess it's a very roundabout way of saying, I'm really glad that, that your monk kicked you out of the nest and said, <laughs> you have to go share this because people do need it.
0: Yeah, and, and that's why I, I talk about this with, for me, If I wanted to learn how to play basketball, I'd want to learn from Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, whoever it is. If I wanted to learn how to act, then I'd go to certain people. I want to learn to sing, I'd go to certain Mm -hmm. certain people. And so if I want to learn about how to master the mind, you go to monks. Because that's what they spend their whole life doing. Mm -hmm. Like they have no other focus in life apart from healing their mind Mm. and cleansing and purifying their mind that's what they're trying to do so for me that was the best training in mind school which Mm -hmm. like you rightly said we don't get anywhere and actually i'm really glad you brought up the physical body point because for me as well that was something i came to later in life i never had anyone around me who had trained their physical body to be fit and healthy Mm. and my parents did and when my parents would say things like that to me you know your parents you disregard anyway and don't listen to them and and then you're trying to figure out yourself but i came to that later in life where i realized how important physical health was Mm. because again when i was young i just assumed that Mm. i would always be healthy right and and i had the wrong thoughts about health too because i grew up overweight i always grew up believing afterwards that oh as long as i'm not overweight then i'm healthy which is a completely really completely the wrong definition of what health is mm-hmm. and so until i met my wife who's an incredible dietitian nutritionist and uh vegan recipe developer which is what her world is when she started speaking to me about health that really transformed my perspective of health uh-huh. and how physical so i always say my mind my wife trains me on my physical and i do the mental and then that's our exchange and that's it, a nice little and balance for us yeah
1: yeah it's interesting because i i've really been coming to terms with so much of this stuff and i feel like As we mentioned earlier, the lessons repeat and then you're learning new things all the time. And again, just thank you for sharing because I'm having all these aha moments. I'm like, I feel like Oprah over here. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Uh, I love when she talks about those. But something that I realized recently in being in this sort of new stage in my life, my health is always the first thing I deprioritize. Wow when you look at the list of things to your point you have to try to do less things per day I realized that since the since I was 21 and I got a job I had never stopped before mm-hmm. and that even when I stopped um, you know air quotes I was so used to having these 16 hour days that my days while I've been off meaning off of a set but still working like a maniac, I was cramming that aggressively, but I was doing it to myself. Wow. And I realized that the first thing I always let go, if another meeting or a call needed to be set or something needed to happen and I would have to fly somewhere and do a speaking arrangement or whatever, I just wasn't exercising. I just stopped. Wow. It was always the first thing that I would (coughs) let go. And as I've really been thinking about the mental physical connection, Mm -hmm. I've, become a person who demands it not of anyone else but of myself yes even if it's 10 minutes even if it's go on a mile walk around the neighborhood even it doesn't have to be like the class the spinning the trainer the the, 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 whatever that we get obsessed with because we see it on instagram and we think we're supposed to do that i i have to make that commitment to myself yes and It changes how I feel mentally. It changes how often I meditate. It changes what time I go to bed. Starting to be active again has reprioritized sleeping to me. Mm. And I've become the person who leaves a hang and says, gotta go. I gotta be in bed in 30 minutes. (laughs) And I'm like, who am I? Uh, And it's funny because I realized that I'm always going to have to relearn. I'm always going to have to make sure I'm checking in that that the evolving there is never done. No, we don't learn something and then it's like poof. Aha, I wake up happy every day now. It's <laughs> it's a it's an active job.
0: Yes, and I, and I think what you've just hit there is exactly it that the biggest challenge is our judgment of ourselves. Mm. So I'll give an example: we eat every single day. <laughs> And we don't ask ourselves, why am I hungry today? Oh my God, why am I so hungry today? You just know you're going to get hungry and you eat. Mm. When you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth and you shower. You don't say to yourself, oh my God, why do I smell today? Why am I not clean today? You just brush and shower. Mm. In the same way, you are going to get tired. Mm -hmm. You are going to feel like you're not focused every day. Mm -hmm. You are going to feel unmotivated some days. Just like you feel hungry, Mm -hmm. it's like feeling unmotivated. Just like you feel tired... My my point being is that stop judging yourself for feeling normal things. Yes. Figure out what you're going to do about it. So we know when I'm hungry, I eat. So when you're tired or unmotivated, find your inspiration, find mm-hmm. your motivation. If you're feeling unaligned and unbalanced, what are the activities that make you balanced and centered? So mm-hmm. for cleanliness and for energy, we found food in having a shower every day. Mm-hmm. And so we've understood that. But when it comes to feelings like I'm tired, I'm unmotivated, I'm unfocused, I'm unaligned, we haven't yet found the simple antidotes to those.
1: Do you think that that's because those are feelings that are so discouraged? Yes. Because we have this obsession with perfection and, and you know, these highlight reels of social media and, and being strong. And there's this weird, I'm so fascinated now by this thing where people are like, oh, yeah, who needs to sleep? I'm like, hello, I lo- I love we
2: sleep. need, we need to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Your
1: brain needs to sleep. If you become one of those people who overworks and you don't sleep, your performance suffers. And then you become a crazy person. Absolutely, I've been there, done that. Like we, we need it. And yet whatever is sort of tender or perceived as a weakness, we judge mm-hmm. rather than to your point, incorporating the reality of all of our feelings, all of our experiences, all of our strength and all of our very human exhaustion.
0: Totally. And, and it's uh, the be- the most amazing thing about it is, is that those emotions are all signals.
1: Yeah. All they are is
0: signals. They're just trying to tell you something. Like when you feel hungry, it's just a signal. When you feel tired, it's a signal. A
1: feeling is a signal. Yeah, I'm all feeling and emotions
0: that. are signals. They're just trying to tell you something. And if you go, no, I don't want to listen to you right now go away, I'm like, you're, you know, your, your feeling or signal is saying, you're tired, take a break. Mm-hmm. It's like saying you see the red on your phone come up and you're like, oh, just ignore that. What's going to happen? Your battery's going to die. Yeah. Your phone's going to die. So if you keep ignoring your emotions, it's natural that you're going to go into depression or anxiety or feel that high level of pressure because all you're doing is you're seeing yourself go to red. Mm-hmm. You're seeing yourself go down to those last, last bar of charge and you're ignoring that. Mm. And saying no, I shouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. You don't say that to your phone. When your phone does, you go, okay, why am I? You may say, oh, God, these iPhones, they die so quickly these days, right? You may say mm-hmm. that, but the point is you still put it on charge like you said earlier. So for me, every emotion, every feeling is a signal trying to teach you something. And whatever we don't repair, we'll repeat, and yeah. so if you don't repair it, if you don't acknowledge it, if you don't get to know it, and if you don't go, oh, I see you, I see what you're trying to teach me. Mm-hmm. And so now I know when I feel that way, I'm going to do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then you'll solve it. And we've done that for food and cleanliness, right? We've done that for I'm hungry, I eat. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm unclean, I'm gonna clean myself. I'm, you know, we've done it for those. And now we have to do it for our emotions and feelings. And you're so right that we think that we are we think we're faulty mm. when we see one of these challenges. Like we, th- we feel like we've got some defect or that mm. we're faulty that I'm tired and I'm unmotivated. No, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. And there's ways of getting that energy back. There's ways of inspiring yourself again. We just don't know enough of those. Mm. I feel like that's what we're heading towards together in this conversation. Like I feel like that's what, what's missing, that we see as a defect yeah, We see it as a fault. We don't see it as a signal or a feature of it, how we function.
1: And just a piece of us. Totally. Because because we are a sum total of our existence. And if we're denying half of it, we're inherently putting an energy into ourselves that we're somehow deficient. Yes. And how sad.
0: Totally. And now every time you feel that emotion or that signal, you now see that signal as a deficiency. hmm so you're constantly meditating or focusing on your deficiencies.
1: Yeah, you keep repeating a story, and the joke is that it's a story you made up.
0: Totally, exactly, oh. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Wow. On. Yeah.
1: So uh, the th- the thing that my I'm curious about next, I suppose, is when you talk about patterns, especially, mm. Mm. and that idea that you know a lesson will repeat until we learn it. Yes. I think so many people see that in relationships. Yes. I know certainly hindsight is the gift, right? As you said. Yeah. I can look back at my relationship history and be like, "Oh, I see what patterns I was trying to work out." <laughs> yep. Yep, that's me. <laughs> me that's on too. me. Got it. <laughs> and you know, you talk about your your relationship history from 14 to 22 and uh obviously now you're married. Yes. And you talk about how healthy and balanced that that marriage is and That's, I think, a gift and also a sign that you do the work. And so I'm curious about how all of these lessons uh, that you incorporate from both of those sides of your life now go into both sides of your partnership, you know, Mm. because uh, two of my best friends got married last summer. And the thing that I thought was so amazing, they, talk about how there are three people in their relationship. There's each of them and then the relationship itself. So they say you, me, we. I love it. And they did their vows to each other and then to the relationship. And I, I, not a dry eye in the house. It was the best. (laughs) But I'm curious how this perspective applies when you have to do it with someone and in the context of a relationship too.
0: Yeah. No, and I love that idea and I couldn't agree with it more because what that's saying is we're both complete individuals Mm -hmm. and then we're creating something together Mm -hmm. as opposed to we're all halves of each other and then we say things like better half, other half, Mm -hmm. which means we're just a half when they're gone, which means we're always only going to be a half, which makes no sense. Whereas you are one, you are whole, you are one, you are whole and then you create something new whole together too, which yeah. is a much more healthy belief around relationships. And so it's interesting how our language around relationships needs to evolve.
1: Yeah, that idea of half inherently means you're lacking.
0: Totally. What which a mess. Abs- it's a real mess because it literally means that when that person's not physically there or mentally there, you're only half. And so you're destined to feel half and sad. Mm-hmm. And then, God forbid, when something happens to that person and that person dies and is not around anymore then what does that mean you're only left with half and it's like that language is is really poor for communicating our you know our greatness and our potential and who we are before and after a relationship so Mm. first of all i think it's really important that we change the language around relationships and how we talk about them and how we think about them because that's going to create a perception for ourselves so i love that of you me and we or you
1: yeah, you, it? me, and we. Yeah, you, yeah. me, and we. They're, yeah, very, yeah. they're very smart ladies. Yeah, you,
0: me, and we. Are I abso- can't take
1: credit, but it's a good one. Yeah,
0: I absolutely love that and, and completely, completely agree with that. So the thing, all of my lessons have come from my past relationships as well, multiple relationships, figuring things out, making massive mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, the hardest lesson to learn is that your relationships with your parents are being reflected in your relationships. Mm. So what you did or didn't get from your mom or your dad is what you're now projecting onto your relationships and your partners. And that's like the hardest truth, but it is true. And if you literally went back through most of your relationships, you'll be like, oh, I was either acting like my mom or dad, or Mm. I was trying to get something that my mom or dad didn't give me, Mm. right? And that's usually what we find. We're either becoming our parents are expecting something that our parents didn't give us. And I think working through that and asking ourselves, okay, well, that's what I expected from my parents. Now, is this the person that I want the same thing from? Or actually, am I looking for something very different from a partner? You mm-hmm. know, am I looking for something very different? And should I really put that pressure on them? And then it's looking at like, well, who am I becoming? Am I also acting like my mom or dad because I saw them behave this way? Or am I acting like the person I want to be in a relationship? So it's creating this, disconnect between who you are right now and who you really want to be Mm. and who that person is and who you want them to be and getting really clear around your perspective and your focus for them and your dreams for this relationship rather than what's happened because of your past and your upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes out so much of the stress. So, So many times I saw myself acting like my parents in my relationships early on or trying to fill a gap or a void that I didn't have and when i realized that that was from that gap and that void i was like well i don't need that in this relationship yeah so that's one big thing to think about you know that's something that everyone has to do a self-reflection on in their own time but for me this this deep belief that just get really okay with the fact that there is no one person who solves everything for you like no one's gonna fix you Mm. no one person is going to solve all your problems no one person is going to transform your life that's you that one person is you it's not <laughs> another person right and i think this all comes from music media and messages like this is coming from movies it's what we've seen oh yeah in movies like the guy's down and out and this woman changes his life or the girl's down and out and the guy changes his yeah life, you cha-
1: complete me you it's
0: complete like- me and you transform me and it's like all of these messages have really messed us up Mm -hmm. you know and and that's the challenge with messages not being thought through yeah and so i would really look at what you're expecting from a partner if you're single really think about it breaking up what are you expecting and ask yourself do i want that or do i want that because of movies messages media music and my friends or do Mm -hmm. i really want those things right? Do I feel more pain when a guy or a girl doesn't do something for me because my friends judge that? Or am I judging that? Is that my belief? Mm-hmm. And start creating that distance between the beliefs you currently have and the beliefs you, you truly have. Right. Uh, that's, that's step one. And then, and then for me, the second one, if you're already in a relationship, you still need to have these same conversations. It's not too late. It's not like, oh no, you're now going to have to start a new relationship in that relationship, you need to start having these awareness conversations around expectations and around judgment mm-hmm. because otherwise we keep, we keep mirroring our past beliefs on our future and that creates so many more cracks, right? Like we keep, we keep, we keep uh, everything that we don't heal from our past bleeds on our future. And so anything that we haven't gone through, anything that we mm-hmm. haven't worked through, that's just gonna impact that next person. so don't look for someone to fix you fix yourself and find someone who's happy to wait for you while you fix yourself yeah right That's, that's what really a relationship is don't expect anyone to fix you or do the work
1: yeah It was interesting, too. I, I saw—it uh, was such a good episode, by the way. I saw you and your wife on Red Table Talk. Yes, yeah. It was so good.
0: Oh, thank you. And,
1: and you said something that I thought was an- another kind of aha moment. When you talked about, uh, you know, when a couple gets into a disagreement, mm. there's this historical idea that someone has to win, mm. but that one person winning is your marriage losing, mm-hmm. that you have to win together together. Yep. And I was like, shout it from the rooftops, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's applicable to families, to friendships, like any any unit in your life, whether romantic or not, If if the unit is important to you, you want the unit to win. Yes. And I wonder how... You look at kind of divesting from the very natural human response and, and yeah. the response of the ego that wants to be right. Yeah. Because really, I think wanting to be right is just wanting to be validated. Yes. And it's wanting to be told that you're, you have value. So when you think about approaching something, what do you look at to make sure that the relationship, the friendship, the, the parental relationship, the marriage, the whatever it might be, is, is the thing yeah. that's winning?
0: Yeah, what a great question. I, I think one of the first things is, you know, we talk a lot about the love languages, mm-hmm. but I have this strong belief now after doing a lot of reflection that there are also fight languages. And what I mean by that is we all have different ways we fight and deal with disagreements, so mm-hmm. one is the silent treatment. So like some people just need to go into themselves, hide in a corner, run away and think about it themselves. Mm-hmm. My wife's like that. She likes to process when we're arguing in mm. space and silence. I'm the kind of person that wants to talk it out. I'm like, oh, look, I want to get to the answer. Let's talk it out. Let's- I'm
1: such a verbal processor. Yeah, me I too. can't do it alone.
0: No, neither could I. If I can't like-
1: talk about it, I can't figure out how I feel.
0: Totally, totally. And so wow. I, so that's some of us. We just want to talk about it. And yeah. I'm like that too. And then there are other people who want to fight it out. So these are people who who are just fighting from their ego. Mm -hmm. They're like, I just want to go ego. Then some people want to blame others, right? Like, so the point being that there are so many different fighting styles Mm -hmm. that we've all been, again, conditioned to and accustomed to. And I think the first thing is just recognizing how your partner changes in a fight situation or a conflict situation Mm -hmm. and just recognizing that may not be them hating you or not loving you, but that may just be because that's what they've conditioned to do in that sort of response. Mm-hmm. And just giving that person that opportunity for them to see it too, because they probably don't realize why they respond like that in a right. fighting situation. So first get really aware of how that person likes to argue and how you like to argue. Mm. And just because it's different doesn't mean you don't care. Because my wife will say that her silence Oh sorry, go on, go on, go on. Go on. No,
1: I yeah. was just gonna say it strikes me that what you're saying is rather than feeling attacked by someone's style, offering them the grace that you would want them to offer you. Yes. Because each of us is aware on some level of the the stuff we carry, to your earlier point about our childhoods, our conditioning, our patterning, how we learned to fight or disagree or make up or whatever from our parents. And so you can carry that stuff into a fight with you and go, hello, you know I love you, but you know that this is my shit. And for some reason, it's so hard for us to offer that to other people.
0: Exactly. So
1: are you going to react from judgment or are you going to offer just a little bit of grace to know that it's not about you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And so the only way to do it is to prepare when you're not arguing,
2: Mm. right? And
0: this is the mistake that we all, it's like, imagine the only time an athlete prepared was on game day. Right? It makes no sense. Like if, yeah. if, if it's the world championship, Your times
1: would be horrible.
0: Yeah. And then that's the only day you go out. And that's what we do. We argue or talk about arguing or think about arguing only when we argue
2: mm. rather
0: than actually when we're having downtime and we're cool and actually saying, hey, you know what? I know we argue a lot about X, Y, Z. Can we address arguments like this? And I know that sounds like a boring conversation to have and be like, oh, that's not sexy at all. It's not very attractive. Well, my point is just that's the work. Mm. right or you're going to keep having a really bad argument about the same thing so for me i've sat down with my wife and we've discussed like how do we want to deal with arguments Mm. right how are we going to make sure that we're still in love and you know that in an argument Mm -hmm. what are we going to stop saying because i used to have this i used to be really bad at just saying mean things i didn't mean Mm. right i would just say these really like elaborate statements, because I grew up in a house where lots of elaborate statements were thrown around. Mm -hmm. You just say something really elaborate that is that you definitely don't mean. And you get away with it in the heat of the moment, but then I was just like, this is damaging my relationship. Mm. Because no matter, even if you said in the heat of the moment, you still had to think that, even if it's not true.
1: And the other person then has to carry it.
0: Correct, exactly. Because
1: you can't unhear and you can't unsee.
0: And you can't unsay. Yeah. And, and that is the biggest thing for me that I started to realize that, hey, I'm going to live with this person for the rest of my life. Mm. Do I really want them to lose every day? Mm. Like, how's that going to feel? Like, that is that loss together. So for me, it's still about being right, but it's about being what's right for us. That's where that we is so important. Right? And there's
1: a difference between being right and being true. Correct. Because to your point, some people will say things in the heat of the moment in an argument because it makes them feel better. And then people who do that are like, oh, I feel so much better. And the person who processes differently is still so wounded from what was said. Totally. And you haven't gotten anywhere.
0: No. And that's what we have to think about us as a unit. For me, it was that, yeah, the statement that I made was, you know, when you're in an argument, it's not you against each other. It's both of you against the problem. Yeah, And so for me, I've, I constantly and, and literally in your mind visualize when you're having an argument, I like literally put yourself on a tag team and put the problem on the other side. And I do that. I go through that visual process mm. many times when we're doing something, trying to put ourselves on the side and putting the problem on the other side. And I want my wife to do the same. And so that's come through having conversations about arguments when we're not arguing. Yes, You can't have a rational conversation when you're being irrational. And that's hard. So don't expect yourself to go become rational then if you haven't had it in the calm time.
1: And I've heard you say that love is a verb. Yes. It is an action verb. And I yes. think that that's such an amazing phrase. Anywhere I hear it, I my response is always, yes. And so the this ridiculous idea that loving someone enough that you would come to them and say, I want us to talk about something so we can be the best team ever. Totally. That's not unsexy. That's no. super sexy. It is. I
0: hope so. I'm just, yeah. yeah, I just, yeah. Like, I,
1: good for you guys. I'm like, they're doing it. The, they're doing the thing. right. Yeah.
0: If you can't, if you can't talk about that with your partner, then there's something really wrong there. Yeah. Right. If you can't have that conversation. And, and I think it's so important because you just can't, you can't expect, and this is why people are like, oh, but we're not arguing, I can't control my ego. And I'm like, I know that you don't learn how to sail a ship in the storm. You learn right. to sail a ship when the sea is really calm. Like yeah. that's how, when you learn, you practice, you train. So when your relationship is going good, that's when you put in the work for when it's going to get hard. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. You know, Esther Perel, that yes. incredible, I mean, God, she's. Everything. Uh, if you haven't seen her TED Talks, guys, please do yourself a favor. She's, you know, the preeminent marriage and family therapist expert, and she just has all the right ideas. And and I heard her say something years ago that I've never forgotten. She said, on average, couples start going to therapy together seven years too late.
0: Mm, that makes sense.
1: And it what you're saying is blowing my mind because, of course. If you want to learn to ski, you have to start on a bunny slope. You totally. have to work your way up. Like nobody's dropping you out of a heli your first time on a pair of skis and being like, "See you at the bottom." Like, yeah, no You're one. gonna die. Yeah, and and I wonder why we don't think about that. I, I think with it's our just, relationships. I
0: think it's the. I, I think it is the messages we've grown up with the happily ever afters. Right, yeah. the movie always ends at the marriage. Yeah. Right. Or the movie and and things have changed. Like media has changed. It's not fair for me to say that there aren't movies about divorce and marriage. Of course there are. Sure. Uh, But the point is that a lot of when we were younger.
1: It's a lot of conditioning. It's a lot of
0: conditioning from when we were younger. And the big one for me is when I read this study from the Gottman Institute that said that the number one skill that keeps couples together is not date nights. It's not holidays. It's not romantic cruises or walks. It's knowing how to fight. Like couples that stand the test of time is that they know how to fight. They know how to deal with conflict. And guess what? Since we've been young, we've been avoiding conflict. Like I know me, I don't like getting in an argument with anyone. I don't have Mm -hmm. a disagreement with anyone. I find it so awkward. But that's a skill that we all need to get right in our relationships, in the workplace, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I've had to consciously work on. And I've become a lot more comfortable with in all different arenas of my life is how do you have a tough conversation? Yeah. Because what we keep doing is keep throwing it away. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of how we deal with it in society. Like when we have trash, we keep throwing it away. And then we realize that the environment's crumbling. Yeah, right? that
1: It doesn't actually go anywhere. It doesn't
0: go anywhere. It and just moves
1: the, to a different place.
0: And that's the same with us, right? Yeah. We're just chucking trash inside of us to another wow. place, hoping that we're just going to forget about it. Guess what? It builds a huge pile of trash inside of you. Yeah. And then you have to deal with it. Because your internal environment's just like the external environment that it needs to process it. It's not just gonna disintegrate all the plastic. Sorry for all the analogies, but no, you know, it's, it's just great. It's I just, like just, it. Just to, I love visualizing things. Like me for too. me, it's just like if you're throwing stuff away or you're trying to put something under the rug, it's still under the rug and then it's just piling up.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and then it's literally festering.
0: Exactly. And it's, and it's getting old and it's decaying, yeah. and all of that. And that's no. why so many of our emotions are decayed signals yeah right so many of our emotions are decayed signals signals that we've been trying to be reminded again and again and again and they're just getting older and moldier and you know all the rest of it so yeah
1: no we got a clean house
0: yes absolutely
1: i mean it's so inspiring listening to the way that you talk about these things and obviously i think it's no surprise to anyone who's listening whether they were aware or not that you have this massive uh platform and the videos that you make and the and the international speaking tours that you go on because everyone needs to hear this. I'm I'm it's a little out of order but I'm curious when you talk about, you know, 6 years ago moving back in with your parents, what happened? How how did you become you're, you know, you're that you're an international inspiration sensation. If you haven't trademarked that, I just came up with it on the fly <laughs> and it's for you. Where what happened? Because yeah. these, these conversations that you're having everywhere are transformative. Thank you. So how did you get here? Yeah.
0: Well, thank you. First of all, I feel very humbled and grateful hearing that. So thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing. I, uh, I've been talking about these things since I was 18. So mm-hmm. I talked about them offline when they weren't a brand, when they weren't a social media thing. Like I've mm-hmm. been talking about this stuff for the last 13 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I've been studying about it. Speaking about it and learning more and growing more for myself, mm-hmm. and making mistakes and experimenting as well, yeah and so when I was at university, I used to have a society called think out Loud, and every night students would come like probably about it started with like ten to twenty and then by the time I finished university, about a hundred people would come every week to hear me speak about philosophy, science, spirituality, and our minds and mm-hmm. all it was was me just learning and sharing what I was learning, mm. so it wasn 't me claiming and then putting patterns together. So I was doing this for a long time. And then when I came back, I was really stuck because I was like, what do I do now? But the beautiful thing that happened is a lot of my friends worked in busy, stressful jobs and they started asking for my help in their lives. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to London, I started to default coach executives, CEOs, people, uh, Mm -hmm. everyone at all different levels and backgrounds about their lives. And so I was able to share my monk teachings in a very valuable way that helped them. And then I got to a point in life where I was just like, I believe that I'd had enough experience with a small group of people. When mm-hmm. I say small, I mean hundreds uh, or maybe a, maybe a couple of thousand people where I'd coached, worked, taken retreats, all of this stuff offline. And uh-huh. I was just like, I've had enough experience that there is a need for these conversations. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't seen them yet in the mainstream media. Uh, media, I hadn't seen them yet on social media. Yeah, And, and I was just like, I wonder whether people are going to care and be interested. And my hope was that I believed that there were people having these conversations in their homes and messaging, but they just weren't having them in mainstream media. And I was like, I'm going to try. So I had this desire. I was just like, how does this reach everyone who owns a phone? How do we get it out to people for free? How is it not held in boardrooms and meeting rooms, but actually gets to every home in the world? And I started making videos. So in... 2016 I made my first ever video three years ago on the 3rd of wow. Jan 2016 I launched my first video on YouTube and it was doing okay and I realized that it only had views because I kept re-watching it and then my <laughs> mom watched it and my friends watched it and it was doing okay. You're
1: like 10 of those are mine. Yeah exactly
0: <laughs> literally and and then it grew based on my earliest tipping point was Ariana Huffington so uh, Ariana's team someone showed them my videos and they showed it to Ariana and then Ariana wanted to test these videos. So I made four videos for the HuffPost. They were produced by me in London and I sent them to their US team. And those four videos did like 100 million views. Uh, And it blew my mind because I didn't expect that. And that was mid 2016. And so I started by creating videos for them until 2017, March, when I left to be totally independent and create content for myself and Mm. my platforms. And that's where my Facebook audience and Instagram audience really grew. So for me, it was the dedication to telling stories, not feeling like a teacher. Like, I don't believe, I'm not trying to be anyone's teacher. I'm not trying to say I've got all the answers. I'm just saying, I'm thinking about this stuff and I want you to think about it with me mm. because I want to figure this out together.
1: Well, and how nice that it's an invitation.
0: Yes, it's it's always been an invitation. Mm. It's never been a one directional thing because I'm learning when I hear people people share their challenges with me. And I'm learning from advice people give. So it is an exchange. It's a it's a community. Mm-hmm. And so now for me, it's like, this isn't followers or subscribers. I'm putting air quotes up for anyone who's not watching. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not followers or subscribers to me. It's a community. It's a family yes. because everyone's helping each other. And yes. that's actually been, what, been what's most powerful is that I've got groups and meetups in 140 places around the world now where people who watch my videos and coaching come together and support each other. And so yeah. these are groups of 25, 50, 75 people, in cities across the world that are coming together. And that's what I realized people are missing the most. It's community
2: mm-hmm. and
0: a conscious community that has similar values that brings them together.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: for me, it's been a lot of hard work. I've I've really, really worked hard on doing what I do now. It's taken everything I have and it's been a labor of love and and purpose. And I believe it's my calling to be doing what I'm doing right now. It's yeah. not a job. It's not a social media trend like this is this is real this is yeah. what i believe my life was about and for and i have worked as sincerely and strategically as possible and i love saying that with all honesty and transparency and importance for people because i do believe that wanting to do good is not enough yes. you have to become really good at it yes. and you have to deepen your expertise mm-hmm. it's not good enough to want to change the world and there's a beautiful thought from martin luther king where he said that those who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war. Yes. And and that's been like my go-to motto. I'm like, okay, I love peace, I love love, but I can't be all like fluffy about it. No. I've got to be really focused on how we make this the biggest thing in the world that everyone has to take notice of and I didn't have any free handouts. I didn't know anyone in the media. I never grew up in the, the world of media so for me it's been a constant battle yes. of sharing what i believe in and trying to get it heard and trying for it to be seen so the fact that it has grown now has just been three years of complete dedication and sacrifice to this mission and vision without because i really believe that until we see media shift
1: mm-hmm.
0: we can't really have a cultural shift
1: yes Ugh. I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, (laughs) And something (laughs) that really, I just mean here in the world. I mean, I'm very excited you're on the podcast, but I'm just like, thank God he's here. Um, (laughs)
0: Oh, you're very kind. I was talking about the podcast. (laughs)
1: uh, But something I think is so valuable, and there are some stats that I think are really important. Go for it. You know, there's this correlation between electronic devices and mental health, and it says that. Teens who spend three hours a day or more on electronic devices are 35% more likely to have a risk factor for suicide. Mm-hmm. The eighth graders who spend 10 or more hours a week on social media are 56% more likely to say that they are unhappy or depressed. Um, their, their risk of depression increases by 20% or 27%, while those who play sports or have uh, faith service or do homework more than the average teen cut those risks. Um, 48% of girls say they feel left out uh now as compared to 5 to 10 years ago 27% more wow. boys you know the the number of teens who get together with their friends in person every day has dropped by more than 40% in the last 15 wow. years so something about technology is isolating us and a lot of people have asked me and i'm sure they ask you how we can be proponents of community creation and and growth um and also be using technology. Yeah. And I'm curious as to your answer because my thought is always, well, technology's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if, if we leave it to the wolves, if we leave it to those who love war, it's going to be a war room. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to impact it. And I'm so excited that you're doing what you do because I believe, and the numbers on your your videos and your pages, I think are proof, that that's what technology should be used for Yeah. and can be used for. And someone who does get depressed spending time online can find one of your videos and realize, oh my God, there's so much else out there for me. I'm going to close my computer now and go out into the world.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I completely agree with you. I think we both feel the same way, that technology is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's no point of living in this dream world that oh, we should just get off all our phones. And yeah. that's, that's not going to work. And so for me... The only thing that really resonates is I have, and I have this personal habit, and I think this personal habit indicates how I feel. If I connect with someone that I really get along with on Instagram, mm. I try and push to meet that person immediately. You were yeah. one of those people. So if I see someone who's connecting with my content, if I see someone who's DM'd me, if I see someone who's messaged me, and we get into a meaningful connection, mm-hmm. I try and personally turn that into a physical relationship as opposed to a digital one. Yeah. So some of my best personal relationships that now exist in LA, in New York, in the US have come from Instagram, and mm-hmm. I've flown across the world sometimes to meet people that I've connected with on Instagram because I feel so deeply connected to what we both believe in. So for me, I have a personal commitment to myself that don't let relationships stay digital. Mm. Try and turn them into physical as soon as possible. If we Mm. are aligned in values, if we believe in the same thing, if we're deeply connected, let's get together and talk about it. Yes. Right. So for me, I do that personally. And so because I do that personally, I'm encouraging that. And that's what I've been encouraging through my coaching circles and groups of community online is we built physical meetups for people. So we created that because I wanted people to watch the videos. And now I wanted them to find people, find a family Mm -hmm. that feels the same way. So if Mm -hmm. I know that there are two people in the same city that are watching my videos and gaining something from them, I'm trying to connect them because that's building family for them. So for me, the Digital world is a beautiful entry point for a physical relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm constantly trying to encourage to people that I know, people that I meet and doing it in my own life. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I think is that a vessel is just a vessel. Like technology is just like this empty bottle. And you can either fill this bottle up with poison or you can fill this bottle up with water. Mm. But you're still filling up the same bottle. So technology is exactly the same thing. We either fill it up with envy, fame, confusion, Pressure and anxiety, or we fill it up with positivity, love, kindness, brightness, service. And the challenge is that because of the way our brains are wired, the negative emotions are always going to attract us more. Mm. See, social media hasn't made us more envious or comparative, it's just amplified what was already there because we never dealt with it. Mm -hmm. Before, you just compared yourself to the kid in school or the shoes that someone was wearing down the street. Mm -hmm. Now you can see a million pairs of shoes in two seconds. So it's just amplified it. So we need to go back to teaching. And this is why, for me, online education is so important, mm-hmm. because I'm not trying to change the education system, but I'm trying to give an alternative education system, is we need to share these messages with young people online now yes. about how do you actually, let's go to the root. It's not just about tech. It's like, how do you root out comparison from our lives? Yeah, that's the issue. Comparison's it's the issue. The thief issue. of joy. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's my point. That I want to go to the root of it. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to say because you could stay off your phones and still compare yourself to your friend, to your roommate.
2: Totally.
0: Like just because you took out your phone doesn't remove comparison. Mm. Re- you have to remove comparison from your heart and your mind. Yeah, that's an internal battle, not an external. Yeah, one. Yeah, it's
1: like a, it's a weed that's growing in here. Correct.
0: And so we have to uproot that weed. And then we won't feel it online or offline. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, let's give people the education to uproot the weeds in their internal garden and in their internal life. Mm. And if you pull those out, then they can use their phones and never feel it or mm. feel it less. Right. And and that's that's where I want to get to is how do we help people do that? And that's why I'm trying to engage all of my online content around that is really uprooting weeds. Mm. I love it. I love it too.
1: Thank you. And now we're doing so it together, much.
0: which is even more fun. And I think it's so powerful when Lots of people who have the same beliefs and values come together to do it together. Mm -hmm. I think that's when we're all louder and and can make a bigger impact.
1: It's so exciting. I have one last question for you. Because I think that when you are an inspiration leader or a thought leader or a culture shifter, so many people look to you as a teacher or a guru and probably forget that you're a guy in the world. So to go in the opposite direction of serious, what... What is the thing that makes you laugh the most?
0: Oh, my wife. That's actually a, that's the truth, honest oh. answer. But if I have to think of something funny and wacky, my, <laughs> my wife makes me laugh so much. She, if you don't follow her on Instagram, like if you just want to laugh because she's unapologetically herself in a mm-hmm. funny way every day, she she'll do the silliest things that people would be scared of posting online, and she'll post them on Instagram. Yeah. So for me, that's that's fun because she's like. She, it's like being around a comedian the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very fortunate. She makes me laugh a lot. Uh, I, yeah, and, and I think it's, I'm really glad you brought up the human aspect. I get tired. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are days when I'm, I have to push myself to get through stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm a human and, and everyone is. There is no one on this planet who does not get tired, does not feel like not getting up one day, whatever it is, right? Yeah. I've just come up with strategies to not feel that way for long. So I just feel that emotion for a lot less time, mm. and that's my goal. Is like it's not about obliterating it; mm-hmm. it's about feeling it for less time. So yes, I may feel tired, but i figured out health and health hacks and personal hacks and mind hacks that just make me feel that for much less time. Yeah, uh, that's the only difference. Uh, what else makes me laugh? Good movies. I'm trying to think. What what, what were you yeah. thinking about? What kind of well, region of laugh we? No, about? I'm I'm always
1: just so curious. My something I so appreciate because I can get a bit, yeah. you know, Serious. sort of heady yeah. and yeah, 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 curious, yeah. and and I yeah. and, I, and yeah. I fall into these not traps, but these spaces where I'm really focused on what's going on in the world and oh, what needs help, yeah, and yes, you know yes, where yes. can I be of assistance, and and. One of my best friends, uh, who we've lived together for nine years, my friend Jenny, she will sit me down and make me watch the videos of people who ride those slingshot rides, oh, right, right, right. and they they faint because yeah, yeah. it's so intense. And almost every time they come to in the middle of the ride, and either yeah. start screaming or laughing. And they are so funny, and and people will make fun of us because like my door is always open, and friends will come over and be like, "Are you guys watching these stupid videos again?" And I'm just crying, laughing, and it's like it's the dumbest thing, but three minutes of it sure. and I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm ready to go back at it. I got it. it. Yeah. Day.
0: So, so then very easy. So good. Yeah. We're <laughs> so my wife's dance videos are hilarious. Okay. She, she's not a dancer and, and she, uh, she puts up these funny dance videos all the time. So I absolutely love those. Uh, I love any videos that are like with just young people messing around I just, I, and this is the thing about Instagram. Like I see so much of this pop up on my feed, animals doing funny things, kids doing funny yeah. things. Like I posted this video a, a week ago. And it's this little girl who's like dancing to Beyonce, and and you know we, we put a funny meme caption on it, but it was just like uh, you know how I feel after giving myself lots of self love, and she's yes. just having the best time. Is this of the her little life. girl
1: on the kitchen counter, yes, in the, yeah, 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 It's yeah, one yeah. of my favorite yeah, videos of all best. time. Yeah, yeah.
0: save. And I love it. And I'm just like, you know, I think I think it's a shame that social media has also, you know, to some degree, it's not good for children. Mm. But I just think children are such a source of joy. When I'm with my yeah. nephew, like he's such a source of joy. Like mm-hmm. I think connecting with our childlike selves yeah it's such an impo- important yeah and it's like mm. there's this beautiful thought it's not mine uh i i don't know who, who it belongs to but it's it's amazing it's uh we don't stop playing because we get old we get old because we stop playing mm. and so for me it's like how much play so i love water sports i i love uh anything that's slightly um you know anything that's slightly tarzan like or yeah. anything that's like zip lines, I love all the oh, outdoor totally. sports, so like for me, like being playful mm-hmm. is very important. play is very important to yeah. me, and yeah, I let think me just p- be
1: barefoot in the dirt Let's totally go. there you go yeah, like that's yeah. what i mean
0: like how do, how do you just let go more mm-hmm. and 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 have moments where you're a child again, childlike not childish yeah right childish is emotional childlike is playful
1: Mm, childlike not childish yeah
0: childish is emotional no one likes someone being childish right childish is emotional childlike is playful and so for me it's like i love connecting reconnecting with my childlike nature Mm. and there are certain people that help me do that easily my wife is probably the best one for that so that's so great yeah awesome awesome
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. This I is can't so wait nice. for dinner.
0: I know, me too. Really excited to have I'm you over. So Definitely. And I'm so yeah. glad we got to connect like this. I I always think podcasts are just, and I would encourage everyone, like have, record your conversations with your friends and, you know, like this, because I think yeah. other people are going to benefit from them. I think... We learn more about each other through the process. I can't wait to interview you on my podcast in know, a, in a I'm month so or so and, and learn more about your whole journey. And so, yeah, anyway, very excited and so grateful to meet you. Likewise. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.